Hi, friends. Do you like reading comics? But do you have trouble having opinions about them? Do you do you want other people to to think about comics for you? Well, friend, we have the place for you. Come on over to the friendless side of comics. Come on over to WMQComics.com. We'll be waiting. WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. And we got a corker of an episode this week. Uh, our guest is Jimmy Palmiotti, and uh, man, what a guy. Uh, we talk about his and Amanda Connor's new Birds of Prey book at DC Black Label, going to the Birds movie premiere, a little Kickstarter, a little Jonah Hex, a little Simon Bisley, a little David Lynch. Uh, it is all over the map, and it is all a good time. Uh, meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? My friends, uh, we got a new episode of Will Nevin's The Breezeway Podcast with guests Sidney Duncan and a deep dive into Alabama politics and culture. Uh, we got a review by the Super Sons Dan McMahon of the new Harley Quinn of the Birds of Prey number one. We got Matt Lazowitz looking at some of his favorite Wolverine stories. Uh, we got a Sunday editorial examining how Birds of Prey has been doing at the box office. We got Why Will talking about the legacy of Southern Bastards and answering your questions. We got Joshua Burmock coming up with a review of Dark Horse's Bang Number 1, which uh, I can tell you from reading an advanced copy is a trip. Get on that. Uh, we're going to have a piping fresh X-Man of the Week looking at how the specter of destiny hangs over the books. Uh, so what are you waiting for? Head on over to WMQComics.com to devour all that hot and juicy content. But for now, here are me and Matt and Jimmy. Uh, so, Jimmy, uh, you and Amanda got to uh, just got to attend the uh, Birds of Prey premiere. Uh, how was that experience? Uh, it was pretty exciting. It was uh, in London, uh, so we got to uh, take a trip over the over the uh, Atlantic and um, let our, our bodies get adjusted to the time difference. Thank God we went a day <laughs> too early, and um, and it was great. We went. We went. Also, Chad Harden came. You know, Chad was there, our, our Harley artist, when we worked on Harley. Awesome. Um, and DC threw a nice little thing for everybody, and then we got to walk the yellow carpet. It was yellow instead of red. <laughs> um, we got to see the movie with a big, big IMAX screen with everybody. You know, have cheering, and you know, obviously everybody's there because they want to be there. Um, and then, uh, we got a little after party where we got to talk to, uh, to a lot of the cast, you know, uh, some of the people behind the scenes, like Christine who wrote the movie and mm -hmm. we got to talk to Margot about her Harley on the screen. And we talked to her a little bit. We always catch up with her. We've, uh, we also visited the set while they were shooting it. So, um, she's just checking in to see if we approved of uh, <laughs> of her version of Harley, which we did, and um, it was a great experience. And then we got a couple of days off and ran around London. Uh, Amanda and I ran around London and had a nice time. So uh, it was just overall a great trip. And the movie was uh, really pleased with it. Really, it's not what people expected. And um, all the man hate it's having online is uh, just ridiculous. Because uh, I don't know if you agreed. guys have you guys seen it already. I, I have. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't get all the man hate on this movie because it is such a comic book movie. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's a ton of fun. Yeah. Everyone yeah. in it is great. From you know, Margot, um, 
Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, Ewan McGregor is delightful as Black. Oh, he's awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, it was it was a great. You know, I went first thing Saturday morning because I always go and see whatever is playing on the large format Dolby screen at the movie theater near my house first thing Saturday morning. And I was like, cool. this was exactly what I need first thing Saturday morning. It's just <laughs> fun. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely <laughs> like an adrenaline movie. Um, and and there's actually a lot more to it because uh, we, we actually saw it. So we went to the premiere and then we came back and Amanda's parents and her aunt wanted to see it. And we all went like I think we went like Thursday or or one. No, I'm sorry, we went on Sunday uh, to see it. Was that yesterday? Maybe we went Saturday. I, I don't know. We went a day or two ago, <laughs> and it was really funny because there was so much stuff I missed the first time that I caught the second time, and it's very rare for that to happen for me in a movie because most movies are pretty simple. Everything's laid out. Everything's for you, but this movie actually does a lot of time jumping and you know you're following Harley's insanity a little bit so it's very it's very much like a pulp fiction type layout and and then it delivers little things and then it goes in its own crazy place and I, I really thought it was I, I really thought it was a great DC movie because a lot of the DC movies I'm on the fence about but I thought this mm. one really captured the spirit of definitely Harley I mean her Margot is Harley is amazing she, it, it, you know, I just, if it was just called Harley Quinn, it was just her, it would have been just fine for me. Uh, having the birds was the extra thing, but I think she's just so good at that character. She's kind of mesmerizing every time she's on the screen. The, the whole bit with the breakfast sandwich, I don't want to give anything <laughs> away to people who haven't seen the movie, but yeah. it is just <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, the the movie has a couple of things in it that we won't give anything away. There's a couple of scenes in it where you have to laugh out loud how insane it is. Um, and then and then for me it was like, oh my god, they put this in a movie. Like, you know, I see it in comic books, but they actually did it in the movie. And the choreography was amazing in it. I mean, there there's scenes with Harley in the prison when she's with all the all the. Uh, there's a scene where she's in the prison. I don't want to give away anything. Where she's fighting sure. a group of like twenty guys, and it's pretty. The the guys who did John Wick did all the choreography, and it's pretty amazing. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I didn't get to see it this weekend, but my only excuse is is my eight year old and my two year old. But I I, yeah. I do have every intention of seeing it eventually. Yeah, it's not made for eight year olds or for you. So you're gonna, you're gonna have to sneak out and do it on your own. You know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, you and Amanda, obviously, you know, responsible for the for the you know modern sort of post Joker's henchwoman take on the character. Uh, not to mention, you know, the Roly Der- Roller Derby Harvey, uh, Bernie the Beaver, etc. You know, what 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 goes through your head when you know you're seeing a, a take on a character that yeah, you know much like your own in another medium or adapted like that it's a lot of pride um well we well first off amanda and i get it out of the way that we laugh ridiculously hard that somebody actually took what we did and made it and spent millions of dollars to make it into a movie we laugh at that (laughs) because we're like really they actually put 
a stuffed beaver in the movie. Like that's hysterical. Um, so it it just for us it shows how much how powerful what we do in the comics, what it means, like what it can do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, let's be honest. It, you know, it's Bruce Tim and it's Paul Dini's character. You know, Harley that, that's their baby. Um, we went and just messed with it and changed things around and. I say we updated it. You know, Paul says, no, you guys took it to the, you know, Paul Dini's very generous. He says, you guys took the character where it needed to go in order to grow. And uh, because Paul sat with us while we watched it in London, Paul was there and Paul loved it, you know. And Paul's like, Mm -hmm. you guys took it where it needed to go. We we set her up and you guys ran with it. Um, So it's really kind of cool to see, you know, part of me. Part of Amanda and I wish we were involved more. You know, we wish they kind of pulled this in more and said, "Hey guys, you know, be consultants or do this or do that." And we're hoping one day it gets to that. But in the meantime, it's nice enough that uh, Margot and Christina read all the books and ripped through them and pulled mm-hmm. out what they liked. So it's extremely flattering. At any point when we're doing the book, we have you know we have no we had no idea anybody even cared. We just Amanda and I just created a Harley that would entertain us, that made sense for us. So we kind of put it down on paper, and you know, it started selling. And I think everyone was surprised with our initial series. Nobody expected that book to take off or the character to take off like that. And um, so we did a lot of crazy things that because we always thought we were going to get canceled, we just kind of went crazy and said, "Well, let's see what we can get away with." And that it winds up in a movie. Yeah, it's flattering as hell. It's surreal. It's nice to see our names at the end. If you watch the last credit, our names are there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of cool, you know. Um, yeah, it's surreal to sit and see Margot Robbie and her recognize us and come over and start chatting. And, you know, who has that life? Like, what what the hell is, you know, who's like, what is going on? Is this really happening? Kind of stuff. <laughs> that happens a lot to us because basically comic people, what they do is they stay home and they work on their comics all day. And then they get to a convention mm-hmm. and you can't get them to stop talking because they're home in, a, in months. <laughs> um, so People, the outside world. Exactly. Um, so it is a little surreal. It's fun. I mean, I, I, I've been promoting the, the movie on my uh, Twitter account. My friend said, you're promoting it like you own it. And I said, well, I, I own some of it in a weird way because I feel like I feel like the Internet's decided that either they like it or they think it's the worst piece of crap and they hate it without ever seeing it. And I'm, I just don't understand that thinking. Oh, also, I don't understand the wishing things to fail thinking. I, it's never been me as a person. No. Uh, if I don't if I don't like something, I don't wish it to fail. I just hope that whoever likes it is enjoying it. Um, but it seems like there's a whole generation of people that uh, think, well, oh, because it has a female lead, it hates men. Or if it does this, it means it's done. So I don't really under- I don't understand it. Um, I, I had to mute some people because they went on the attack for me this weekend on Twitter. They were just like, oh, you suck. You ruined the character. You know, I'm just like, well, what are you talking about? The characters, you know, the comics are there if you like them. But I didn't ruin anything. <laughs> leave, leave me alone. <laughs> Go back and read the comics that you liked. That's oh, that. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Paul and, uh, and, and Bruce's books are in print. You can get those trades and reread them a hundred times. They're awesome. And plus, other than the new series coming out, I don't write it anymore. So, 
Um, so go pick on those guys for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. People have to have better things to do. I'm sorry. If you want to get mad at something, get mad at people screwing with the environment or, you know, get mad that people don't have health care or people are hungry and stuff. Don't get mad that they made a movie that you feel is not for you, so therefore you must pick on it. I, that's kind of that's really a waste of time, isn't it? I I, I don't like Sonic the Hedgehog, but I'm not going to run out and tell people not to see it. Jesus, if you like Sonic, go see Sonic. Who cares? <laughs> you're I, you're preaching to the choir on the, those right here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. what do I care? <laughs> no, there's. there's... Uh, although I, I am actively hoping that that eight-year-old I mentioned earlier doesn't ask me to take him to see Sonic. <laughs> you know, it's not a movie for me, but it's probably made for an eight-year-old for sure. Oh, sure. Um, no, absolutely. You know, look, I wouldn't go see Cats, right? But I wouldn't tell sure. you not to see Cats. If you want to see Cats, go see Cats. Who cares? Yeah. Have fun. Right. It, it probably sucks, it... though. By the way, just so you know. <laughs> it, 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 as as I said, I, I did you do, see it? Oh yeah, I do that. Oh, how AMC, was it? It's it's it's, it's, it's 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 as bad as you've heard. It is completely. Ooh. I've. It feels like the director, the choreographer, and the production designer went out into the desert, had yes. like an ayahuasca trip, and then created the entire movie while still real high. <laughs> Okay, th- now I want to see it. Now yeah, I want to I mean, see it. it. It's oof. I do the uh, the AMC A list where I can pay twenty five dollars sure. a month and see three yeah. movies a week. So I go to see. You know, my wife's not a big movie person, so you, right. usually she gets to you know cook or do something she wants to around the house without me underfoot, and I go and see a couple movies every weekend. It works out really well for both. How of them. how great is that? I mean, that's uh, did you see under underwater? That one what was it called? Under was it called? Now, no, Under, that one. No, that one came and went so fast. I like that. I like that one. That was fun. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna yeah, this weekend I'm, I'm gonna do Fantasy Island and. Ooh, that looks. That looks. Mm, yeah, okay. I, I like yeah. horror movies. Yeah, um, yeah. A, it looks goofy. It looks pretty goofy. Huh? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. that because there's not much open as as we've established. Right. Sonic is not really for the no, age group. No, and yeah. I'll, Probably just for support, I'll probably see birds again, so I can watch the you know as you said with the time jumps, knowing where I, it's all going. I, I like that you go see a lot of movies. Did you see Motherless Brooklyn? No, that wasn't. That didn't play at the the theater. But oh. I, mean, I really wanted to. It's one of my favorite this past year. It's one of my <laughs> favorites. Yeah, no, I mean I've I saw all of the best picture nominees except for 1917. Right. Which I, I probably would. I'm not a big war movie person. I meant yeah. to see it and it just didn't. Although my favorite movie of the year was uh, was probably Knives Out. Knives Out was a blast. That was fun. That was a fun movie. Yeah. You know. Eh, look. You know. It, it. Like I said, it's nice that we have so much variety. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Now that the uh, you know now now that the movie's out, uh, you and Amanda do have a new Birds of Prey series coming out for uh, DC Black Label. Uh, first issue is out the week that we're recording this yes. so by the time you actually hear it it'll it will have been out already uh time is a flat circle and all that uh but uh you know you are largely working with the cast from the movie correct yes so this is a book that um it's called harley quinn and the birds of prey so the birds of prey are in mm-hmm. it unlike the movie where it was birds of prey this one is about all from harley's point of view um and it's Four issues, black label. Amanda's drawing them all. 
and we got Paul Mounts and uh, Alex Sinclair on the colors. And um, it is pretty much the, the book opens up. So our last issue of Harley Quinn, I forget what number it was, but we ended it with uh, Poison Ivy and uh, Harley taking a boat and heading to the Bahamas. This book takes place three hours later. Ah. So we were because we were thinking, how do we how do we do this? And should we should we look at the movie and figure out what how we could tie it in? At the end of the day, Amanda and I just said, no, we should just do it like we like we just did our last issue. This should be the next issue. Mm-hmm. Um. So. So in this, Harley's mom's still alive, which we don't see her. But just to give you an idea like this, it just takes place right after and it opens up with Harley and Ivy on an island, a deserted island. And it goes from there. And we have uh, a joke is in it real quick. This issue, this first one, uh, Power Girl's in it for a couple of pages because we always put her in everything we do. Uh, somebody has to. And um, we love Power Girl. Um, and then it, and then we see the gang of Harleys and, and Red Tool and Bernie the Beaver. And it's basically Harley... Um, so Harley, uh, while she was having her little adventure in our last couple of issues, she missed some payments on one of her buildings because she owns a couple of buildings, one where the gang of Harleys live and where she lives. And because she used a, 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 a mortgage company that's not really on the up and up, they mm-hmm. uh, they burned the building down to the ground to make because <laughs> she didn't pay her payments. So she goes to Gotham to get back at the people to burn it, but also to pay off her debt on the building. And it's so when she goes back into so the first issue is her the stuff she's doing that gets her to Gotham, and then issue three and four, two and three. Or Harley dealing with everyone in Gotham, and it's the Rogues Gallery, man. We we have every supervillain, we have Atlee, we have every everything we could throw at the fan. It hits it hard, and um, and then in the end, we get back to Ivy and it's uh, and Brooklyn, and uh, I don't know. It's like Martin Amanda's way of saying, okay, here's how we're gonna really end the series in a weird way, and and make it a little bit of an event, and then get away with some cursing and violence in the black label books you can't really get you can't get away with nudity unfortunately that batman's penis ruined that for everyone but um <laughs> uh, the, uh, the batawang i guess is the thing that uh, um but there is a lot of uh we do try to get away with everything we can in this book <laughs> if that makes anybody feel good i don't know um it's it's basically amanda and i having some more fun for four issues and uh we hope people give it a shot. It's going to be in the oversized but prestige plus. Yes, it's it's over it's oversized, which Amanda loves because you can see her artwork nice and big. Um, mm-hmm. And we take full advantage of the format, so it's like a more square page. So there's definitely more panels in it, and it's uh, Amanda's getting to experiment a little bit with the format of the books. But yeah, it's in the prestige. For I think it's like a five ninety nine book though. It's not really that much more money. Um, and it's 30-something pages of story, 34, I think, 32 or 34. Um, and it definitely, it's a lot, it's a lot to take it. It's, you know, we're trying, uh, so, so Amanda and I, like, my office is in a comic shop, right? Nice. So it gives me a connection of what people buy and how they order things. And 
when people say, I really feel this comic is a ripoff. It, I, I spent $5 or I spent $4 and I read it in two minutes. Or So we're very conscious of the fact that people are spending their hard-earned money on something. So we make sure we give you a lot to kind of look at and read in a book. Because we're consumers as well as uh, making the product. We're also consuming it. So we're definitely very right. conscious of the fact of format and page count and what you're getting for your money, you know? Now, does that does that get dangerous, you know, working in the shop? Is there a, is there a kid in a candy store element to that at all? Or Well, I shoplift all the time. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> do, uh, uh, well, okay, so their new books, it's it, their new book rack has like thousands of comics on it, and I have a tendency of looking backwards. I look at the new books. I get every number one I order. That's my pull is every number one. I try everything. And, um, mm-hmm. and then what I collect, I collect like weird things. Like I collect old comics, like sensation comics with Wonder Woman, you know, wow. from the 40s mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I can't really afford many of them. So I'll barter sure. with the store, you know. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I have it's, – it's, it's great when I have to reference something. I can just go in and say, hey, you guys got any good Huntress books that I should be reading for this? And inevitably, one of the guys or gals will say, hey, you know, read this, 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 the best one or read that or don't mm-hmm. do that, you know. So I get a lot of opinions, but it, it's great because I also see how they order things. And it's really interesting, right, with how they order comics these days. And, and uh, so I'm very, very aware of when we do our books, how to promote them and what people are looking for. Um you know, and then with my own company, Paper Films, I kind of put out things that I'm experimenting with. So uh, it's it's just interesting. It's a lot of knowledge, and then I'll, you know, one day I'll figure it all out, and then I'll croak the next day. So that's how it goes. <laughs> but for that one day, I will one have day. mastered. Uh... That's right. I'll be master of nothing. <laughs> um, you mentioned, you know, being under black label, not just, you know, obviously the book being in the prestige format size and getting to swear, uh, you know, given, given how much time you and Amanda spent with Harley in, in the 2010s, is it, is it fair to say that, you know, being given the opportunity to do this under the black label banner, uh, you know, put some spice back into, you know, your relationship with the character? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think if we went and did the regular book now, we would probably get censored for almost everything we're doing. <laughs> when we did the regular book, here's what happens, right? So when you, Sure. When you're flying under the radar, when we first did the book, we were flying under the radar. Nobody really was paying attention. And I got to admit, like the first year or two with Harley, people didn't even review it. Like it was mm. it sold like crazy, but people were like, oh, it's a silly comic. Nobody, you know, it's kind of stupid. Don't don't review it. It's nothing's really happening. We don't have to review it because you know it's kind of fun and it's not trying to be as serious as other comics and. By have by doing that, nobody was really looking hard at it. I mean, we had we had stuff in the comic. We had a scatapult, which is a catapult <laughs> that, that shot crap, and it shot at the DC Comics offices with Jim Lee and Dan DiDio in it. You know, that was exactly <laughs> when you were saying it was flying under the radar. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Like- yeah, and I mean, and nobody cared. Like it was like not even mentioned in you know. And I, I told the man, I'm like, it's kind of amazing because it's one of it's one of their top ten books. But I don't think a lot of people that read comics or or do website reviews read it. You know, I think they just say, oh, it's a fluke or it's going to stop selling soon. And it didn't. 
you know, for all five years we worked on it, it was selling like crazy. Um, and then even like with the little black books we did, this this stuff is crazy in them. You know, the Lobo issue where Harley and Lobo, I mean, Harley and Lobo are going at it in the book, you know. Uh, it, it's so much, I mean, Simon Bisley drew them with no tops on and no pants. We had to cover them with word balloons. And I don't know, if you, if you look back at the book, that issue, um, there's these little characters that are red flags and they and they cover all the nipples and the crotches because he drew them naked all the time, right? And um, uh-huh. and Amanda said, well, we're, since we're getting red flagged on this, I'm just going to make some red flags and put it over everything. So we put these little, like, blushing red flags and, like, the red flags going, making the oh, no face, you know? And uh, so if you look back on these books, they're really, really out of control crazy. But because nobody really was taking them too seriously, nobody picked on us. I mean, we had a dream sequence where uh, Harley, where Bruce Wayne was turned into a fish, and then Harley ate the fish and pooped the fish, and Bruce Wayne was talking through the whole sequence, and you just see word balloons coming from a toilet after Harley got off the toilet. It's still talking to him, to her, and I'm like, I'm like, there's no way we can get away with any of this now. And uh, they, they make interesting omnibuses because I think, like, when they started reprinting some of this stuff, they they decided that they can't really reprint it all. Some <laughs> of it's a little too crazy, but you know, look, we had a we had a, a, a scratch and sniff comic at one point, right? Yes. And 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 I remember DC going, "We have this smell. If you want, it's marijuana." And I'm like, I wasn't even <laughs> thinking of that. And and yet we did it. We have a marijuana scratch and sniff panel, and that and we also you know we were going to make the beaver actually smell like wet fur. You know, there's like a wet fur smell, but we thought sure. we thought people scratching a beaver in in the comic store might <laughs> be a little too much, so we just stopped doing that. But like there was so many crazy things, and of course the beaver was like our twelve our twelve year old inner twelve year old coming out with all the beaver jokes. And then, of course, in the movie, there's a beaver, too. So we love that. It's it, it just, uh, again, it just shows you the power of comics. And Amanda and I grew, grew up on a steady uh, diet of um, Looney Tunes. So that'll explain mm-hmm. everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you mentioned working with uh, Simon Bisley and the Lobo stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> Biz does a show uh, up by us in North Jersey every year and we always make it a point to stop by his table because he's usually extremely entertaining uh you know curious on that particular project you know was he egging you guys on were you egging each other on like you know what was the working relationship like that well uh, okay so we're in sicily okay and Uh we're doing a show in our first time in sicily and we're doing a show in sicily and we have the last issue dan adio texts me says i need the last issue who are you going to put in the last issue of Harley's Black Book, because we said we'd only do six issues, right? And okay. we did Superman, we did Wonder Woman, we did Green Lantern, we did Zantana, and we couldn't figure out, and then we then Simon comes over, hey, you got a, a red marker I could borrow? <laughs> and I'm like, Amanda says, yeah, use this one, it's really good. And he sits back, and I look, and I go, Amanda, and she goes, ooh. And I'm like, yeah, Harley Lobo, and, and she's like, I don't think they do Lobo anymore. And I and I said, well, there's a new Lobo, but he's like a kind of skinny guy. And mm-hmm. I don't I wouldn't I don't want to insult Simon asking him if he'd do that. So I texted Dan Dio back and I said, can we do classic Lobo like Simon Bisley Lobo? 
And he says, who are you going to get to draw it? And I said, Simon Bisley. And he's like, yeah, if you can get Simon, then yes. So we just went over to Simon and said, you want to do a Harley Lobo? And he's like, only if I could do the Lobo. I like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, absolutely, <laughs> buddy. I said, you're Lobo. He goes, I'm in. And that was it. That was how we got Simon. And then, uh, and then we sent him the script because we wrote it for him. It's obviously... <laughs> With all the little black books, they're written for the artist. So knowing Simon, we knew what to write, right? Outer space stuff. Harley's, like, been kidnapped from Earth. And uh, and then, you know, then they find a planet and they start screwing around on it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and it's the one of the craziest comics we've ever written. But the joke was, at the end of the book, we brought Lobo back to Earth. And, uh, and, that's, and then he goes and walks away in the distance. And because of that book, they were able to reintroduce him into the DC Comics again. And that's why Lobo's in the regular books now, is because our book brought him back. And uh, kind of weird, right? And, and then there's a thing that people think is Lobo and Harley's uh, daughter. You know oh, about yeah, Crush. Oh, oh, yeah. Crush. So we, we like to say that Crush was created in that book. <laughs> Conceived, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you used the word conceive. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes, the idea was conceived in that book. Uh, so we like to we like to take credit for that. It's it's definitely a happy ending for that story. <laughs> oh, there um, you go. <laughs> yeah, um, getting back to uh, the birds of of the new birds of prey book uh, real quick. Uh, so of of myself and Matt, you know, I confess that you know of the two of us, I am not the show's DC expert, but I am the show's uh, dog lover, and I have two dachshunds. Uh, oh, so, okay, uh, Nathan. Yeah. yeah what Nathan, can you tell Dachshund. me about Nathan's? In, yeah, yeah, man. Well, we love we love dachshunds. We love all dogs, actually. We love all animals. Amanda, they're Same. animal people. Yes. Um, but that's her dog, Nate. So it was set in Coney Island, and Coney Island's most famous place to eat is Nathan's hot dogs. And when we did the comic, they said, well, you can't use Nathan's. Uh, you can't do anything. So I said, well, what if we call it Nate Man's? So it's called Nate Man's, but we made the dog named Nathan. I don't know. Our brains just work in weird ways. And and we just had to get the Nathan's in there. And the man is like, well, it has to be a dachshund because that's a hot dog dog. And I'm like, yeah, it's perfect. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so Nathan's in the book all the time. Amanda throws Nathan in all the time. She loves drawing dachshunds. So uh, he's in the preview pages. I think they put online for it. He's not in the. He's not in all the issues because she leaves the house. She takes a beaver with her. So <laughs> Harley's always playing with a beaver, um, <laughs> you know. And she doesn't really want people. You know, she doesn't want other people to touch it. So she takes it with her all the time. You know, people try to grab a beaver all the time, but she she's very protective of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I have this one Primus song stuck in my head right now. Uh, there you go. <laughs> it's there's a there's an internet person that reviews movies that hates uh -huh. the Beaver character. Like every time she does any kind of review, anything, she's like, "I hate that Beaver. I hate that Beaver and Harley." And I wish I knew that earlier because I would have named it after her, but <laughs> it was too late. We call we called him Bernie. You know, I think anybody that has that much hate for something has to you have to name it after them. I think it's the only fair thing to do. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, on top of, you know, all your, your work on Harley, you just recently wrapped up uh, another successful Kickstarter. 
this one for a digital collection of uh, creator-owned heroes, the uh, sort of comic anthology magazine hybrid you did through Image a few years back. That's your 12th successful Kickstarter? Yeah, Happy Dozen. Yes, yeah. that was number 12. <laughs> what is it about the Kickstarter model that speaks to you? Um, I think my favorite thing is it connects me directly to the audience that's interested in my work or the things I'm doing. Um, I see the same names almost every time. Like the people, I have a very satisfied group of customers, number one. I always deliver the product on time. And even if it's a little late, I make sure they know it's going to be late. I keep in contact. Um, but I, I treat every one of them uh, personally. I pack all the boxes. Me and my buddy Patrick do all the packing. We don't send it out to somebody else. And and uh, it's just a really grassroots way of getting to know your audience and letting them try new things with them, you know. And, and uh, I'm all about customer satisfaction. I, I've never had a person that was not satisfied with a Kickstarter's. Look, there's a lot of people that do Kickstarters that don't deliver them and give bad names to them, and I'm not one of them. Mine, the reason I do them, I usually make the money back right away, and, you know, I have a couple, I have a Sex and Violence, Volume 3, coming soon, and I have a, a thing that Dave Johnson and I worked on together with uh, a Juan, uh, with my buddy Juan called uh, Pop Kill that we're going to do, but it's, it's I, I love the fact that I can put out a book that's has no... No editorial anything running it. You know, we, we just, whatever I want to do, or uh, uh, me and the artists or my co-writers want to do, we just go in. Adult, cursing, sex, violence, whatever we want. No censorship, no people to answer to except for my audience, whether the audience likes it or not. You know, that's, that's what it comes down to. Um, so I love that. I love the connection with the fans. I love the interaction when they get the Kickstarter. Um, I don't get that in regular books, you know, because we put the books out there on the rack and, uh, and that's the end of it. You know what I mean? It, com it comes out and unless I see people at a con, I really don't get any feedback or somebody reviews it. But, but I tell you, you can't even get that. Like I, I Amanda and I write a, a DC 100 Wonder Woman every month and no one's ever reviewed them, you know? Uh, and they tell me, well, because they don't send preview copies out. And I'm like, oh, you mean people don't buy comics and review them? Oh, I see how that works. Um, but anyway, with with, uh, with the Kickstarters, it's a connection to my audience. It's grassroots. If they have any problems, they email me directly. I speak to them directly. If they're happy with it, great. If they want something else, I talk to them or they tell me. You know, I, I connect with my fan base. And my fan base is... My diehard fan base is a little over a thousand people, and I love each and every one of them. And I, I see their names over and over, and I make sure I take care of them. And I, I just figure there's only so long you can work for the big companies before you either become the older guy or you become the, that guy that keeps doing the same thing over and over, or whatever it is. I, I have a fear mm -hmm. of being obsolete at some point, and I just think if I connect with the Kickstarters, I'll always have my audience my fans, my, you know, my guys, I call them, uh, my guys and gals that support the product. So I think that that kind of format allows that to happen. That's great. Yeah. Um, when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, stretch goals and, and, you know, logistics like that, do you usually have those mapped out in advance or, you know, has there ever been a, a Kickstarter you've done where something was fully backed on like the first day or faster than you thought it was going to be? And you were like, 
ah, shit, I better come up with some more stuff. I have an ah, shit moment like four times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I wish I could say I plan everything, but okay, so, you know, one or two of the Kickstarters hit it in the first or second day, and I try Uh to think, like, what is it I can give the people that, number one, won't make the shipping go up in price? Because I don't want to take, I don't want them to have to spend more money, right? So I always think, Okay, if I do a print, it has to fit inside the book, right? So I don't have to get a different yeah. size. Um, so I like to do uh, my stretch goals digitally because then I can just send it to your your email and we don't have to worry about shipping. Um, and this last one was my first digital Kickstarter. This is my first time I did a, just a digital book kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a certain amount of people just hate digital comics. They just don't want to – they want to have stuff in their hands. And I get it. I'm a I'm a I'm a guy that likes that too. I'm I like the books, I like the hardcovers, I like the special end papers. You know, we did a painkiller Jane one and it's like we picked out every single type of paper that was inside it, different textures and spot varnishes and I I'm a very tactile person like that. A lot okay. of a lot of comic people are actually. They like they like things a certain way. Um but I you know, as far as in advance, I I, I make it up on the fly. I just try to make it so I don't I don't have to charge money. I don't have to make the person have to spend any more money. I don't want to give a stretch goal where I have to ask you for another three dollars to pay for more shipping. I don't want to do that. So I try to do anything I can that doesn't involve me making you take another dime out of your pocket. You know, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with twelve under your belt, uh, what advice would you give uh, aspiring creators about their kickstarters? Uh, I would say you have to be a tough guy because you have to have constant communication with your customers and you have to have your book done. Don't don't do your Kickstarter and then deliver it eight months later. It's not fair. It's not fair to the people buying things. We're a generation now, you know, we, we go to Amazon, we want it in 48 hours. So don't keep your people waiting. Don't Don't pull the plug on communicating with them because they will hate you forever. Um, and also you got to be a tough guy if you're going to do this do it all the way don't take their money and then figure out later how to make it work make sure you figure out everything ahead of time remember you're paying taxes on all the money you make so no matter what you think you're getting you know Kickstarter is going to take their 5% bang out of the gate mm-hmm. around 120th maybe one maybe maybe like 3 to 5% of your people are not going to pay for the Kickstarter, they they uh, we get a lot of people that their cards don't go through, or they bail at the last minute. So understand, even if you hit your goal, realize that you're not going to make much profit on them, okay? Because the shipping's going to happen. I had one where the shipping prices changed while I was doing it, so it kind of got screwed a little bit. Um, but I didn't want to ask people for more money because it wasn't their fault, right? So I have to allow for these things and then wait. The, what your book's going to, you know, my Painkiller Jane book was like you can like a brick. So we had to allow how much was it going to cost for me to send that to um, to China or to uh, New Zealand, you know. Um, so there's a lot of figuring out. It's not – it goes way beyond just producing a book. It, it also goes into everything to do with printers and having money to pay to printers. Honestly, my, my thing with Kickstarters, all 12 Kickstarters, is I have a separate account for them. And whatever money I make goes into paying for my next Kickstarter. So I've never, I don't pull profit from my Kickstarters. What I do is I, I roll over the funds to do new books. 
So, so it's like a self-sustaining economy. Yes, it is. And and I get to do new books. And then, you know, once in a while, um, somebody will want to print them overseas in a different format or I'll sell them on my paper film site. I sell them digitally. So if you want to download mm-hmm. one and once in a while I have an extra, but I really don't have, I kind of print to the order. So we don't have a ton of them. Um, I don't have a lot of extras because we do get damages. And if somebody's book is damaged, I have them send me a photo or send back the book and then I send them a new one because you know uh, I want to make sure they get what they want you know Um, Mm -hmm. but it's not for the week like you can't just do your Kickstarter take the money and then sit back and think all right it's as easy it's it's not I I am a customer service kind of guy I we you know you write me I get back to you that day Um, I resent the people that kind of screw people over because it makes it harder for me on the Kickstarter Mm -hmm. the only thing I have is my reputation so uh i make sure it stays intact with with my delivery and how i treat the fans that's a noble sentiment and appreciated by those of us who back kickstarters a lot and wind up in those situations where there's a two years after you back the kickstarter and you haven't gotten the book yet do you have that with some not many and at least in the case of one of them, there was very good communication as to why. Okay, but, that's good. Yeah, yeah, there was one where the artist, there was like major health issues. And it's like, okay, you know, I mean, I'm not, but there's one where the creators just disappeared off the face of the earth for eight months. And then eight months later, it's like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to get those books out to you eventually. And it's like, that's not helpful. Didn't, yeah. Did, didn't, yeah. Stop me from backing way more Kickstarters, but still. Well, you know, it, it, again, it's I, I understand because people tell me, Jimmy, I love to get your book, but I don't want to back a Kickstarter. And I tell them, I'm like, well, look up my twelve and read all the responses. You know, like if you can find me things where people complaining, then I'm going to be shocked. I said, but understand if if I've done twelve, there's nobody out there saying, well, Jimmy's Kickstarter, I didn't get my book and he screwed me on this. There's no, that doesn't exist. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. even my hardest customer, and I had a customer that was a real pain in the butt, you know? Because um, it was three times he didn't get the book. And I, one of them I sent, he had to sign for. I think somebody, a neighbor or something, was signed taking the books, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I finally had to just say, look, you know what? I'm going to send you a fourth one, but I'm also going to refund you. You know? And so you got your money, and I hope you get the book. But if you don't get it, understand that we tried. We really tried to get it to you, you know. And, like, so you have to do that. You have to go above and beyond because one bad customer, you don't want to have that one person. I just don't want it. You know, there's a – yeah. Anyway, I was going to tell you an expression, an old Brooklyn expression, but it's kind of rude. Uh, <laughs> really? I would it, not have expected that from Brooklyn. It, it, it's kind of – yeah, it's kind of like you can you – can, uh, you can play pool your whole life, and nobody calls you a pool shark. I'm not going to say the whole joke, the whole thing. But if you, but if you, no, forget. It. I'm not going to do it. Forget <laughs> okay. it. It's too rude. It's just, just, yeah. Just keep your reputation clean. Get your stuff out. I think the hardest thing for Kickstarter people is they get the money, and they get excited about having the money, and mm-hmm. and things become like oh i have to get the, oh, I, oh i have to get them a book too yeah you have to get that to them oh but i have all this lovely money i'm going to the bahamas <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i 
I like I backed a lot, and I've only had two not come to me, and one of them was like a big one, and I just never got the book. And they said, "Well, we sent it," and I'm like, "Okay, whatever." I, I just didn't care at that point. But um, mm-hmm. for the most part, everything else I got, and and I backed a lot of weird kickstarters, I, I, I a lot of music, and um, I like experimental ones. People who create inventions, I like those. I back a lot of those. Hmm. Sorry, I'm opening my mail. Is that no. really loud? No, that's, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I think there's a dollar in this one. Too. No, <laughs> no, nothing in there. Okay, sorry. No, no worries. No worries. Um, so going back because you have one of the more extensive CVs of the, some of the creators we've had, and so you've written a ton of stuff that is work I love. I mean, Harley. Uh, Starfire, Power Girl, but especially your runs on Jonah Hex and All-Star Western. I I love that character. I love those books. What is it about Hex, you know, this southern bounty hunter gunslinger that spoke to you as, you know, a Yankee? (laughs) Well, let me tell you, boy. Um, So Justin, Justin Gray and I wrote it together, and we both love Westerns. And uh, my favorite Western character in comics was always Jonah Hex. Actually, I remember as a kid when uh, the outlaw Josie Wells came out, I was like, it's Jonah Hex movie, you know. Um, (laughs) So we've always loved the character. And uh, although me from Brooklyn and him, White White Plains, at least he had a little more experience out West. Um, I I will tell you for research, though, we did, Amanda and I, I did learn how to ride a horse and we did go to a ranch out west uh, just to get some experience because I wanted to get a feel for some of the material but um, I don't know I just you know it's it's the character he's such an interesting character Jonah he's such a complicated uh, kind of guy he's simple and then complicated right because he I always says he doesn't hurt animals unless he's going to eat them he doesn't hurt children uh, women or children unless they wrong him um, you know, he wears his he wears the uh, his gray uniform to sort of pro- provoke people, and at the same time for people to leave him alone. You know, and the scar on his face, he can fix that scar. He can fix that little piece of skin. We know he could. Actually, in All Star Western, we actually did have him fix that piece of skin. Um, but he's just a person that he's he wants to be alone and wants to be left alone to do his own thing. And then at times he doesn't, you know, and when we introduced Tulula Black, that was our way of saying, okay, he thinks he wants this, but now this is in front of him. And all of a sudden, maybe I do want that, you know, uh, he's just an interesting character. I, I read him, his comics as a kid. And I thought one day I'd like to write that. And then, um, I stayed after DC for years bugging Dan DiDio, DiDio like, can, I, can I, get, I get Jonah Hex to do and he's like no I think Azarello, Brian Azarello at the time said he wanted to write Jonah Hex and then when the one day Brian said, came in and said no I'm going to do my own western for Vertigo and once he did that I called up Dan and said so can I get Jonah Hex because he's not doing it he doesn't want to do it and he said, all right, send me your proposal. And I said, it's in your email right now. You can open it. <laughs> I sent it to him while I was on the phone with him. And he's like, Jesus, all right, go ahead. And I said, look, I said, the thing is, we want to do done in one stories. 
And I don't think they were too crazy about that, but my pitch was that because they're done in one, I can get three or four books done at once, you know, by different artists. And they really like that idea. <laughs> mm, and um, sure. so at one point, we'd have a Riso, we'd have a Jordi Bernay, we'd have, um, God, so many different guys did the book. And, and they'd all be working on it at the same month. And we did the first issue. The first series was seventy issues, and we've never missed a shipping date. It always came out the first week month for seventy months. Which Dan told me was like some kind of record up there, <laughs> because we'd have them. We'd have we'd write them, like Tony, like all right, like Tony Dezogno. We did a, a hardcover with, but I remember Dick Giordano right before he passed away. Uh, mm -hmm. Told me that he always wanted to do a, a whole, a new, you know, a, a, a whole issue with Jonah Hex. So Justin and I wrote that in like two days and got it to him, and he did it. He drew it. It came out. He did signings for it, and then he passed away like a couple weeks later. You know. Oh wow. And um, yeah, Tony Dezugna was his last job. Was the Jonah Hex book he did for us? That was his last job. He passed away right after it. I'm not saying we're killing people that were. <laughs> What I'm saying is we were able to give these guys, like they all wanted to do a book and we were so happy that the format was the way it was because it would allow us time to go in and say, okay, here, Tony, you can do this story. You can start it now and we'll put it out whenever you're done. And same thing with Dick and uh, a bunch of guys, you know. Um, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, my you literally kind of hit, covered some. what I was going to ask next. A, was about the Dunn and Ones and then about those artists because, I mean, Jordi Brene was sort of this the closest thing to a sort of recurring penciler. He probably did more than anybody else on that book. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm a and, huge fan. That's why he, he, he. I'm a huge torpedo fan. Yeah. So when we went to Barcelona, we sat with Jordi and his son, and Jordi didn't speak a word of English, and I didn't speak a word of Spanish, and we had a nice lunch together. And he just told me one thing. He says, "If you're going to write." Western stories for me, please add some humor to it because he likes he likes humor in his action. <clears throat> That's why we had a bunch of nuns beating up Jonah at one point. We had we had the, we had the one story with the bullfighter, yeah. Jonah and the bullfighter, and you know these are all things that were made custom written for Jordy, you know. So, yep. but I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Tony Dezunga. Darwin Cook, J.H. Williams, Eduardo Rizzo, yeah. Phil Noto, Moritat on uh, All Star Western. I mean, yeah. just, just murderers row of artists. Uh, was there anybody you tried to squeeze in there who you couldn't find an issue for at the time? We we wrote two issues for Jeff Darrow, and he finally bailed on the second one because he didn't like his page rate. <laughs> which I told him I wish you told me that in the first place I wouldn't have wrote these two issues for you um, <laughs> but we try, I tried hard to get Jeff and, and that didn't work out um, you know I wanted guys like Neil Adams and, and a whole bunch of guys but they weren't available at the time and I kind of went for the artist like like Jordy was somebody I really wanted like okay so Darwin Cook was a very close friend of mine and uh, with the with the Darwin one, Darwin said I want to join Mr. Jonah Hex, so we wrote the one where he's uh, with the Canadian Mounties and the Wolves. You know, we did that issue for, for for Darwin, and we wrote it custom for him. 
And then I, t- I, we were having lunch, and I have a couple of drinks, liquid lunch, and uh, I told them, I said, listen, for the 50th issue, I'm going to have Jonah kill 50 people. And he started laughing, and he goes, well, what's the story? And I said, well, it's going to be about, you know, it's going to be about Tula Black and a baby, and it's going to be really messed up. But I also want to subliminally kill 50 people. I don't think anybody will notice it. But if you read issue 50, he kills 50 people in it. And um, and Darwin's like, okay, I'm drawing that book. And mm. once he said he was drawing it, we kind of made it a little bigger of a story with Tallulah and everything. And then um, and then we did All-Star Western after that. And they told us it's going to get canceled. And I said, well, I told Darwin, I said, well, here's what we want to do in the last issue. We want to have Tallulah come back. And he's going to reset his own death. Because if you remember, you might not remember, they did a comic where Jonah Hex dies and he's stuffed and everything. Mm-hmm. And and I had it, him reset his own death so he can go and have his own ending into the sunset. And uh, I had him I had him actually riding into the sunset. And then Darwin said, I put him in a boat. I just figured the sunset looks better on the water. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're Darwin Cook. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know? <laughs> He actually drew. Uh, he actually drew, and we thought we might get away with it. There's a scene in the beginning of the last issue of All Star Western where Tallulah Black is naked and she jumps in the lake in, in, in a in a big lake, and then Jonah comes in, strips down, and gets in there with her. And mm-hmm. he drew her naked on it, and we thought maybe they'll let us get away because it's not rude. It's not. It's just Tallulah. You see the side of her breasts and her butt, and and they were like, no way. We're like, but it's the last issue. No one cares. And they're like, no, nope, nope. So Darwin drew a little branch in the way. You'll see in the double plate splash. But it's one of the sweetest comics. I mean, honestly, you can take the three issues that Darwin did and put them in one book, and it makes a wonderful Jonah Hex book. Because Tallulah Black, he loved the Tallulah Black character, Darwin. And he just didn't understand why she didn't have her own book. He just says, I don't understand that this is the greatest character and I'm like, yeah. I said, if you tell them you're drawing it, they'll probably let you do it, you know. But, um, but unfortunately, he wasn't with us long enough. Yeah. You know, so we got cheated out of that. Yeah, I've written a lot about Darwin's work over the years. I never got to meet him, but he's one of my like five favorite creators of all time. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, I he uh, when he passed away, he left me uh, a piece of art. That was very sentimental. It was um, his wife made sure she said he told her to make sure Jimmy gets this, and it's a. Um, and I remember the cover of his collected book where it's the bar with all the superheroes in the bar and outside, and yeah. uh, and it says Jimmy's place on it. Hmm. It says Jimmy's right on the window because he 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 told me he did that because he said he met a lot of the comic book people because of me. So he did a very oh. very sweet thing, and he left me that piece. I have that in my home uh great guy you know just a great uh, an unusual guy a real character you know we, uh <laughs> a real character i mean i could i could we could do a whole podcast of darwin cook stories because i have a billion of them uh, I, i'm gonna know. have to take you up on that someday <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of crazy stories but that's what made him so much fun and his art just amazing i mean you know him him and amanda working on Silk Spectre together was just so much fun, you know. That was tremendous. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
one other flashback to some of your other work that I loved. One of my favorite books of yours was also Monolith, uh, your Gollum in New York series. Yes. Um, do you ever envision possibly returning to that world? Yeah, I actually, so I, my last Kickstarter I did was uh, Painkiller Jane, and it had a monolith story in it. So it was actually Jane and monolith. And uh, I got all the rights back from DC for monolith, so I own it. And we actually had it, uh, it was a uh, it was a, a movie at um, Lionsgate. We had the screenplay, we had the actress, actress playing Alice, and we had uh, the director. And it was all set up, and then Lionsgate changed hands, and they literally, the new guy came in and killed all the projects that were on the slate before that. So we got destroyed. But we were literally going to film it, like, in six months. And uh, wow. and sadly, that fell apart. And that's Hollywood for you all the time. Um, it's one of my favorite books because it's based partly on fact. Um, people don't know this, but... Um, Basically, the book is about a golem created uh, around the, in the late 20s, you know, and uh, this golem's created because somebody's killed and they use the blood and the, the golem is old uh, Hebrew law, you know, uh, uh, lore that like um, you can create a being that is like a uh, revenge for revenge, you know, um, mm -hmm. and in the book we have the golem that they can't control the golem anymore he's just kill you know he's just he all he sees everything is in black and white you did something bad you must die there was no gray thinking part to him and they had to get rid of the golem but they couldn't kill him or destroy him so what they did is they buried him between two brick walls under the east river which was a passage they used for uh, prohibition well the inspiration for the story was I was in college taking painting classes, and uh, my the painting teacher was in his house in downtown Brooklyn. He was right near the Brooklyn Bridge, and uh, I was one of the last people there for the class, and he asked me, he says, you want to see something cool? And I'm like, sure. And we went down to the basement of this old house he was in, and I was like, oh, this is wild. He goes, no, 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 not this. And he pulls aside this wooden thing, and there's a ladder that goes to a sub-basement. And we he drops a light down there, and then we go climb down this ladder, and it's a, a, it's a dirt floor. But when he turns on the light downstairs, he sees giant, giant like look like tunnel type things, bricked up walls. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And he said, well, in Prohibition, they used to make the alcohol here, and then they had a horse and carriage down here in the sub basement that would go from Brooklyn all the way to the Lower East Side to supply alcohol. Uh, during prohibition to the gangsters and you know now in his house he had the bricked up walls and i said well so what's behind the brick up walls and he goes well it's a tunnel but i don't know if it's caved in by the east river i'm afraid if i take a brick off it might just flood my house and destroy my house and i'm like oh yeah good point <laughs> uh, you know um it's a load-bearing wall <laughs> yeah, and I and it's and it was like two. It's like a sub sub basement, so it was actually below, way below the ground level, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, New York's built on bedrock, um, 
so my imagination was like what's behind that wall you know i have to know and of course he's not going to tell me you know he just said he goes i don't know what's there i have to leave it alone but it is a tunnel that leads to the lower east side and i thought i could make up a story about what's hidden behind that wall and that's how monolith came about so uh that was my inspiration for monolith that's really cool yeah and i got the property i'm going to do some more monolith books that would justin and i will figure out what to do i can't get phil winslade because it's too expensive but um he's amazing too phil is just you know that artist i got so lucky with phil on those first books but um it's one of my favorite comics and it was like we got 12 issues i have two favorite dc comics that i worked on was that and and gi zombie were like my two favorite books that hardly anybody read <laughs> you know not to sound like a suck up but i read them both i <laughs> <laughs> G.I. Zombie was my zombie James Bond and um, and it's funny because the covers were all misleading they were like you know Darwin did these covers that were like a little misleading to the book you know um, Scott Hampton drew that series and Scott yeah. did an amazing job but I just I to me G.I. Zombie was like a fun like a funny weird kind of character and uh, I, I always said it would make a great cable series G.I. Zombie <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, so I mean now you're mostly known as you know a writer of all these things but you sort of rose to prominence in comics initially as an inker you worked with Amanda Steve Dillon Paul Glacey all these amazing pencilers but with all your writing do you still I, it doesn't seem to have much time to do that inking uh, do no I don't I, 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 I miss it on the artists I like Mm. Um, and you just mm. named most of them, actually. <laughs> I love thinking Jr. Jr., Amanda. Mm. Steve was such an easy guy to ink because he, he he would sit over me and smile and go, yeah, yeah, add more of that, you know. He's one of those guys. Um, yeah, Jr. Jr., Joe Quesada, of course. And um, and then it was a lot of guys I hated it <laughs> because I had to finish their artwork or they got lazy. I won't mention them, but... Um, Have you ever been on, in an anchor on a book where it was like like running up on deadline and you were like one of four anchors who like each had to take a bunch of pages? Yes, my first jobs, I was one of those guys. So I was up at Marvel Comics sitting at a desk and hoping some pages would come in. I did some Punisher books like that. I I, I was some Spider Man. I inked some you know I inked some Mark Bagley. I I was the guy that if you had a book was running late, you can give it to Jimmy and he'll get it in on time. Um, mm. But you can only do that so long until you burn out. And I started my, I remember my last comic I inked was, uh, I won't want to mention the book because it's the, the, the artist, they, DC sent me a FedEx box with an issue of a book and they put a note, hey, can you fix the hands and legs and move this stuff and this and that. There was a note telling me to do 30 things to this art. And my brain went, wait a minute, why not have the artist fix it? Why am I doing this? And then I looked at it and I'm like, oh my God, this is a ton of work. And I just, I, I kind of, I was writing at that time a little bit too. And I was like, I put all the art back in the book, in the, in the FedEx box, and I sent it back to DC. And I said, yeah, nah, I, I passed. Don't, don't bother. I don't want to ink anymore. I'm done. Like that. <laughs> that was my wow. that was my note. I'm done, and uh, it was not their fault. I mean, they were going to pay me to do the extra work. I just didn't want to work that hard. And um, plus, I felt like if I want to write, 
and people want to take me serious writing, I got to stop with the inking because the, a lot of people are like, oh, he's an inker that thinks he can write. And I'm like, oh, that sucks, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, of course, everyone has to put a label on you, right? I mean, of course, well, he, sure. he does this. I mean, look, I was editing the Marvel Knights books with Joe, you know. I was doing a lot of other gigs, you know. Um, and I thought, you know what, I, I have like this wall of awards I won for inking. So I'm done with that. I, I won the awards. I did some top-selling books, and I felt like, yeah, it's all I have to say in the world of inking. I'm done. And I said, writing is a whole different animal because, you know, uh, I'm not starting with something on the page. I have to come up with ideas. And I just thought I'm going to be a better writer than I am an anchor one day. I'm still working on that. And, and uh, But I just wanted the challenge. I, I Honestly, I, I always want the challenge. It's why to – Look, I was one of the first pros to do Kickstarter because I, I like the idea of the ch- how am I going to make this work for somebody like mm-hmm. me? Like, I get the unknown guy raising three grand, but can I raise 50 grand? And what can I give them for 50 grand? And why would anybody want to buy this from me? You know, so I love the challenge of stuff. Even with Harley, when we did it, Amanda and I looked at each other and said, yeah, we did enough, right? And then when they came back to us with the Black Label, we said, all right, we have something, one more thing to say here. So let's do this. And it ties in with the movie, you know. So we were like, okay, well, the movie's going to have a lot to do with what we did. So let's do this book. But honestly, like the next book after this, like the Wonder Woman one-shots are fun to do because I'm writing like 60s or 70s type Wonder Woman done in one stories that you don't have to know anything about Wonder Woman to appreciate the stories. And I love doing that. Um, But my next good gig for DC is going to be something – it has to be something I really feel a passion for. Otherwise, I, I've been turning down work left and right because I just feel like, okay, I don't like that character or I have nothing to say with that character or I love the way that person did it, so I, I don't really want to do it, you know? Um, mm. It's a good place to be because it gives me more time with my creator-owned stuff too. Um, but I do have like, you know, I have a meeting in two weeks with DC about what to do next and, you know, they, they're going to hit me with a couple ideas. And it's a good position to be. And I, and I have something at Marvel I'm working on right now, which they'll announce one day. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I have one more issue to do on it, but it's going to be all done and in a drawer. So, oh, great. Yeah, so I'm going to uh, – it's like – it's. I, I prefer to work that way, by the way. I don't like when they solicit something when I'm still working on it. I'd rather have it all done. And uh, so I, I, I do not like late books. It's just, sure. It's a pet peeve of mine. So. I, it's from it's from all those years of uh, ru- ru- rush inking uh, late books. <laughs> yeah, rush inking, and also I just I just don't if I expect something to be out, I expect it to be there. I, sure. I you know I just if I ordered it, I want to make sure it's in that week. I don't like this three months later shit. I, it gets like I'd rather them not solicit it and just put it out when it's ready. You know, um, but that's not yeah. publishing. Publishing is about getting as many books as you can out. You know, so the different business. Yeah feeding that hype beast yeah but um you know i obviously from all these stories you know you and amanda love to travel uh you know are you guys planning to do a lot of uh conventions or or shows this year um yeah we have so i mean next week we have two signings in florida for uh Mm -hmm. for our book uh new book but we have uh let me see i'm gonna look at my wall here we're at c2e2 in two weeks 
next the twenty the twenty second. I'm in Miami for a free com. Oh, I'm sorry, it's the twenty third. There's a free comic show we're doing, so it's free to get in. That's kind of cool. We like that. Awesome. We're doing that for one day, and then we can hang out in Miami. Um, doing a date in Ohio, GemCon. I, you know, it's funny on my calendar. I drew a big butt with an arrow. That's why I know I have to go in for um, uh, uh, what do they call that when they're checking your uh, prostate exam? Yep, that's it's just a butt on my calendar with an arrow. But that's why I know I got it. Okay, I got a con in uh, in uh, May in Barcelona. Nice. And then um, let's, I got a, a little thing I'm doing in Vegas. I can't talk about yet. Let's see, San Diego. We got terrific con in Connecticut. I don't know if that's announced yet. So, um, and then uh, let's see, I got one in Belgium in October, and there's some in between. You know, yeah, I, I think yeah. there'll be like around six or eight. Um, two of them, two or three, are going to be in the, in the in Europe though. Um, Amanda and I like Very to do nice. the shows overseas, uh, just to try to get new audiences to try stuff, and uh, and then we take a week off after. You know, like we'll, we'll go. We did a, call, a show last year in in, uh, in um, somewhere in France, and then we then we rented a, a, like a house, a little 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 type cabin thing on on a mountain, and uh, for a week that was very cheap. And we we were real uh, French people. We went and got bread and cheese and <laughs> sat in the sun and hung out. <laughs> yeah, if we're gonna make the trip all the way there, we might as well have some fun while we're there. You know? Hell yeah! Yeah. Um... Where, uh, what are you reading these days? Uh, it's on my table. Let me see. It's on my table. There's a, what is that? This is a, oh, this is a, somebody's Kickstarter. Tokyo Blade Detective. Um, that's kind of fun. Let's see. I, I'm looking around me. I'm going to make it easy instead. There's a Birds of Prey Black Canary book by Brendan Fletcher. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, I have a thing called She Venom, which is a reprint of something I did. And a Conan, The Jewels of... Guanler? I don't know. It's a trade book collection from Marvel and a reprinted a Dark Horse Conan book I did. Let's see. Uh, let me spin all the way around. There's a Huntress book, too. I'm doing my research for my stuff. Sure. Um, there's an issue of Bio Billy I found that Amanda drew from a million years ago, Archie Comics. There's the Wonder Woman Archive Edition, Volume 3. This is the old stuff from the 1940s. That I'm looking wow. at because I love the done in one stories, so I'm trying to get inspiration from them. And I have some uh, TKO books. I got a stack of those that I'm halfway through. There's a Hellboy uh, book right here. Boy, I have a lot of things I'm reading. What the hell? I'm looking. <laughs> I got piles of shit around here. I got a book on Coney Island because I'm writing a book about Coney Island, so I, I got to research. And I have my favorite book for if you want to, um, you guys want to be writers one day. Is that something you want to do? Maybe be a writer one day? Are you? What, uh, what book is it? Are you both writers right now? Yeah. Is that what you do? I mean, we yeah you know, we write for the website that we run, so okay. I mean, there's that, but not not like you know, I don't have a novel coming out or anything. I'm going to recommend a book for you. How about that? This is going to be a gift. Sure. A gift for you. It's very inexpensive. It's like uh, I don't know, maybe fifteen bucks. It's called the uh, the catching the big fish. Hmm. Have you heard of it? It's written by David Lynch. The movie oh, director? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so what this book is, is it's like uh, it's like 150 pages, or almost 200 pages of small paragraphs. And he talks about, because he meditates, right? So he's into meditation. But that's not really what the book's about. 
the book is about opening up your brain to let ideas come in. And so it's about meditation. It's about consciousness and creativity. Okay. And it's, and it's a, and it's a book where he talks about just the idea of, um, um, just simple ideas. Uh, let me, let me find, maybe I can read your page. Would that be fun? Would that be something sure. that people do? Okay. Let's just grab any page. Okay. <laughs> All together now, it's called, little title, and then it says, he says, when you work, you want a happy crew going down the road together. You need the ability to focus on things as a group. You need to concentrate on one thing at a time and not have a million different things distracting you. This capacity, this capacity grows when, you, when people start meditating and diving within. There's an expression where the attention is, that becomes lively. So when you focus on a thing, it's almost if you start moving and vibrating. You say, this is what we're going to do today. This is where we are, and this is what we want to accomplish. Then the work gets better, and the group gets happier. So it's a, so a simple idea in one, one page. Talking, He's talking about, he uses the word meditation, but I think I, I, like, this, I, like, this, uh, uh, I like to put the word focus in there instead of meditation, because for me, it, 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 sure. as I read it, and he talks, so he talks about how you can, uh, ideas are like little fish swimming on the surface and then there's bigger ones below them, you know? So you get these small little fish ideas and they lead you to where the bigger fish ideas are. It's very, it's very interesting book, right? Because, and it calls it, and the book is about catching the big fish, getting the big ideas out of what these little small ideas are. And it's, I think it's one of the greatest books written, written about putting into words what it is to grab an idea and then make it into something. So I, I recommend it for anybody. It's called David Lynch, Catching the Big Fish. I, Amazon has it. I think it's like 12 or 15 bucks. Um, but it's one of those books you'll read it like 15 times because you'll be there and go, oh, yeah, you know, I never thought of that. And he has this, you know, again, it's like people say, where do you get ideas from? And I'm like, I'm always like, they're everywhere around us. Mm-hmm. But these certain people know how to see them. And that's what David Lynch's thing is about, is about seeing something differently than what other people see. And if you know his work, you understand that he definitely sees shit differently than everybody else. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. And, and even if you don't like him, you can admire the, the creativity of his vision. Even if you don't like mm-hmm. him, you can't say the guy doesn't have a vision or he doesn't have a style or a way of looking at the world. Um, but if you do like them, then you then that's extra points, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, Jimmy, this has been uh, a ton of fun. Uh, as we're wrapping up, how can people? You know, where do people need to go online to follow everything that you're working on? Um, so you can go to the paperfilms.com site, and a pop up appears that you join a newsletter, and we do like one a month, so we don't terrorize you too bad in your email, but we definitely put what shows we're doing, what books we have coming out. There's a lot of photos this month. We did a lot of photos from the Harley uh, premiere that I didn't put online, you know? So when you join, you get these things. And so we try to keep everybody up to date when the next Kickstarter is coming, where we're going to be, all that kind of stuff. And, and coupons, we give you coupons for things if you want to be on the site. So that's paperfilms.com. And then, on Twitter, just put my name. It's Jay Palmiotti on Twitter. I'm pretty vocal there. I, I uh, you're not going to get much of a fight out of me, 
there. I, te- <laughs> I tend to listen to people, and I tend to listen to people, and we have conversations. But I don't argue. I don't argue with people. So if you're looking for an argument, I'm I'm really not a guy. I, I don't. I believe that everybody has their opinion. That's fine. You know, I I don't really want to make people. I don't want a lot of me's running around. So I kind of like that people have their own opinions. You know, if I wanted everybody to have my opinion, how boring would that be? <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so that's it. I don't have Facebook. I, I do have Instagram. If you want to look at photos, I tend to put comic art and stuff like that on Instagram. So that's fun to go to. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Jimmy, thank you so much thank for you. doing the show. Uh, thank you, guys. This was fun. That's it for this week's show. Uh, as always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. And uh, if we hit $10 in monthly donations, we will start a new project, most likely a deep dive retrospective on James Robinson and Tony Harris's Starman. Uh, big thanks to our patrons, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Madrinsky from Mojo'sWork.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's upcoming Spider-Woman series, Seren, and Rick Cook Jr. You can follow WMQComics.com on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA! You know what's? I got to tell you what's weird, guys. And this this can stay on the thing. I, I, having the headphones on and not hearing my mm-hmm. own voice that much is really bizarre. Because <laughs> I don't hear my own voice that much on this. It's low. It's like in my head. So I don't know if I'm loud or not loud. No, you're, you're good. good. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> the Brooklyn accent comes through all the time. That doesn't go away. No matter where you live, <laughs> the Brooklyn accent is here to stay. <laughs> I feel like that's comforting. <laughs> I, I guess to some people, it's funny because I, I think I can't stand to hear my own voice. And then there's certain people like my voice. And I'm like, oh, okay, what, what do I know? Like, does anybody really love their own voice? No. You guys love your own Probably. voice? No. No? No. 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 What, no. what do you wish it was? Like deeper or less this or more that? Or Edward R. Murrow? You want it to sound like <laughs> Edward R. Murrow? You know? <laughs> I'm not sure what I, I just, I, it's always interesting. I can't listen to the podcast. I, I don't sound like I sound in my own head and I wish my spoken voice sounded more right. like the way I hear it. If that makes right. any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, you know, I wish I sounded less like me, you know, yeah. what can you do? Yeah. Can't do anything about it. You can fake it. Yeah, we could we could all just start uh, doing uh, vo- vocal affects until we uh, <laughs> we hit on something. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I I don't have much range, so I I, I did a animation. I did an animated voice for a cartoon 
once and I played the garbage truck. So that gives you an idea of what where my voice belongs. <laughs> I was the garbage truck telling you to recycle in the cartoon. I got paid. Hey, got paid. That's what counts. As a professional, you, got paid. you had a you had a good message for the kids. You did recycle kids? Yeah, it was it was fun. Okay, guys. I well, feel I feel like yeah. yeah. Why well, you feel what? Sorry, interrupted. I was gonna say I feel like that's the perfect note. To, 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 yes, you want. recycle, recycle this show yeah. if you can. 